Welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 19, Pope Urban I. We're almost to 20. Mm-hmm. And we're at the first of the Urbans. There's going to be a lot of them. Not Carl Urban, who is my favorite Urban. You do love that Urban. I love that man. When we started setting up for this week because we just finished recording Calixtus and now it was time to do this one. I actually completely skipped this Pope in my mind and I was fully prepared to record the next Pope. So things are not off to an auspicious start. However, that may or may not be reflective of his life. He is the first of the Urbans. There are going to be eight Urbans. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's the ninth most popular Pope name. It's pretty good. I mean, that's, I guess, it's not John. (laughs) No, it is not John. (laughs) There are too many Johns. Do you have any thoughts or predictions about what Urban might be like? Nope, because I I can't go like, ah, yes, that man is very into cityscapes. Well, maybe he is. We will actually return to that a little bit, kind of, sort of. But we are going to open this episode with the full and complete quotation of Urban's passage in the Encyclopedia of the Papacy, circa 1958, by Hans Kuhner. You ready for this? No, we have an encyclopedia now? We do. It occasionally comes in handy, but it comes really in handy for Urban. So here is the entire quote. Nothing of note occurred during Urban's pontificate. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Now... Before we write him off completely, we are, we're not talking about a 12-day pope here. Just nothing of note occurred during Urban's pontificate. He just kept everything running. Yep. However, I want to follow this quote with a quote from the article called When History Shrugs, Pope St. Urban I by Richard Becker. This is what he has to say about Urban. I picture the faithful adorning Urban's earthly remains with an I sat on the throne of Peter and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, covering, before committing him to the catacombs. But Pope St. Urban I did lead a significant life. He's a saint, after all. A saint! They're all saints. This was my thought when I read that as well. All the early popes are saints, so what does this mean? Our job today is to see if the encyclopedia is wrong about something of note, And to find out if Richard Becker is right about Urban's significant life. Or maybe he falls in the middle, but we have very polarizing views and we need to decide which one is more accurate. This is what we've set out to do today. And considering that I forgot him when we were getting ready to do this. Were you going to skip to the next one? I just assumed that number 19 was somebody else entirely. (laughs) For reasons that we'll get into next week. But for now, Urban, we will not forget you anymore. Urban was born in Rome as the son of Pontianus. 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 Yes. It's a very um fitting name. Is he Ponchi? Well, the, the Pope that we're going to cover next week is called Pontian, so it just is, it's a weird coincidence, but it is a thing. Born in Rome, son of Pontianus. And the rest of his early life is completely unknown. You know, 
were I, when I was doing the research, I saw a variation of our favorite dramatic line saying that Urban's life was shrouded in mystery, but shrouded in antiquity. Shrouded in antiquity is definitely better than shrouded in mystery. I've got to say. In every way, he is going to pretty much be the opposite of Calixtus. We don't know so much about him. We know nothing. The lesson that we are learning here is if you want to be a pope that is remembered, have an enemy. And let them write lots and lots of things about you, so. Have them just be a smarmy little b Oh, he, well, we'll get up to what he's up to, too, so. Next month. Mm, in this episode. Oh, yeah. Because he's still out there, remember? Yes, he's just ethereally floating. <laughs> Being salty. Somewhere along the lines, Urban enters the church, rises up the ladder, and is elected pope. And yes, again, here we are seeing talks of the election to Pope. At this point, we can generally accept that, considering we've seen it multiple times now, there is some sort of election process to become Pope. At least there is an election process that is happening between the bishops that are actually in Italy. This is a thing now. There is actually an election happening. We're not just kind of getting Popes by happenstance without knowing how. Yes, good. We don't know their election process, but... Mm -hmm. And we, we can say that because there is an election process, there must have been something significant about him to get him elected. We know very clearly that he was not voted in by accident or by happenstance. I mean, he could have been. He could have been like some joke, joke ballot. Oh, we know that he's not because that's going to happen later. <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be popes in the future that will be voted in by accident or ones that will be voted in by happenstance. So, yeah, we know for sure that didn't happen here. And more than likely, one of the things that does make Urban stand out is that he is probably a very good preacher because it's mentioned several times in the sources that he draws a lot of conversions to Christianity throughout his sermons. Either he's got the zeal, or he's a great public speaker, or maybe both, or maybe something else entirely. This really is all we can say about him at this point, is we know he's a really great speaker, and when he preaches, people come to listen. That's a decent Pope quality. I think so. I think that's a very, very important Pope quality at this point. We talked last week a little bit about Emperor Alexander Severus and his attitude towards Christians. And if you don't remember, that's because it's thought that his mother, Julia Mamia, was a Christian and had Origen, the Christian scholar, tutor the young emperor in Christianity before he was raised to the purple. Again, this is a good time for Christians in the empire. Persecutions are not happening on a government level. And last week we talked about how he gave Christians the land that would become the Basilica Santa Maria in Trastevere. If that story is all true, because again, we got it from the Historia Augusta. Well, all of that was in 222, which was his first year as emperor. And that's the year that Calixtus dies and Urban becomes pope. So the rest of Urban's papacy is going to happen under Alexander Severus, who was only just getting started at this point. Cushy. Yeah, it, it is. It is a very good time. And Alexander is going to maintain his tolerance and his goodwill. Towards the Christian, we have the historian Lampridus telling us in his account of Severus that Christianos esse passist s, or in English, Alexander made no trouble for the Christians. This is good. But 
We have an emperor who is fine with the Christians, and we have a pope who is known to be an excellent converter of people. It's not surprising at this time that Christianity really starts to proliferate. It's not like um, a couple of weeks ago where they were like, so you guys can be Christians, but don't make any more. Exactly. Now we have an opportunity for the church to grow, and the church is growing, the population of Rome is growing, the cemeteries are growing, and we have this beautiful archaeological piece of evidence that this is all really happening. So this is the first thing that we can really attribute to him is conversions and growth. That's a big one for us at this point in the church, so yay. We even know that he expanded church administration quite a lot. He had five ordinations in December, so 19 priests, seven deacons, and eight bishops. Quite a lot. It's good numbers. There's also a papal decree that gets attached to him, which deals with donations and gifts made to the church by the faithful, which says, The gifts of the faithful that are offered to the Lord can only be used for ecclesiastical purposes for the common good of the Christian community, and for the poor, for they are consecrated gifts of the faithful, the atonement offering of sinners, and the patrimony of the needy. All right, that's fair. This is pretty good as well, you know, don't use the donations to the church for personal reasons. Make sure it goes where it needs to go. This is something the church hasn't always been great at, so, I mean, we can go all the way back to this time to go, hmm, they knew this at one point. So we have another decree straight from the Liber Pontificalis, which says that Urban also instituted sacred vessels of silver and gave 25 patents, which are the plates for the Jesus wafers, made of silver to 25 of the biggest titular churches in the area. But we know that silver sacred vessels didn't show up until the 6th century, so here's our retroactive edition. But also that um, just sounds like someone's going to put their fingers on it and it's going to get gross looking. You got to polish it every time before the Jesus wafers go in. You cannot put the Jesus wafers down on a fingerprinted piece of silver. That sounds like its own breed of heresy. You are the Jesus smudgers. <laughs> Don't smudge Jesus, bro. Excommunication. Now that we've got those decrees out of the way, we know the church is growing. We need to check in with our anti-pope, Hippolytus. Hippocampus. Uh, you know, I still can't help it that every time I see his name, I want to say Hippolytus, which that is not how you say the thing. Hippopotamus. <laughs> so Hippopotamus is still out there. And he's still trying to rival the current legitimate pope with his own Christian congregation. And it's in Urban's papacy that we will see him publish his Philosomena, which is a work that continues to attack Zephyrinus and Calixtus's papacy and criticize everything that everybody did wrong. Calm down, they're dead. He is still so salty and so mad. And maybe it's because he's so salty and so mad and so hard to get along with that Urban will make no attempt to try and mend the rift. One source actually says he's hostile towards the schismatics that followed Hippolytus, but he, we don't have any evidence that he took any action against them or for them or tried to fix it or anything. Probably just gave him the stink eye from across the room. Probably. And it's also said that at this time, Hippolytus would dedicate one of his other works called Resurrection 
to Alexander Severus's Christian mother, Julia Mamia. So he's working really hard at this time to curry imperial favor and get more power behind him as the leader of the church. So, you know, he's sucking up to the emperor just to see if, you know, maybe they'll go, you're the legitimate pope, but that does not happen. So, but since that's, you know, one heresy, essentially, to get out of the way, let's check in with the other heretics that we've been dealing with. It's heresy time! No, no, wait, I was thinking, I really hate receiving poetry as a gift from men. Imagine your own religious text. Oh, God. And he's not even a Christian. He's just been educated in Christianity. So it's just like, oh, another book I have to read about these people who are generally problematic in my empire it just it's such a teacher's pet move and that's exactly what i expect of him but anyways it's time for heresy sorry it is so much heresy what about the gnostics and the montanists and the modalists you know all of those people well they're still active they're definitely still challenging the church and we have literally zero evidence saying that urban had anything to do with them whatsoever so they're just doing their thing. That is his life. We are already up to talking about his death. And then he dies. In order to actually talk about Urban's death, we need to talk about the legend of Pope Urban. Because there's this whole story about Pope Urban and St. Cecilia, which we get from two sources. Both are considered highly unreliable and apocryphal, so the only place that this legend shows up is the... Liber Pontificalis, and a document called The Acts of St. Cecilia, and the Acts of St. Cecilia is basically considered to be pure fiction, but St. Cecilia is a well-venerated saint in the Catholic Church, so... I actually don't know who that is. Maybe I oh. do, and I just don't... Maybe, I don't know. St. Cecilia wasn't venerated in my household this is interesting then because this is a saint that I've probably heard the most about, funnily enough. Like, I don't know a lot of the Catholic saints yet, but when you go to Rome, St. Cecilia is everywhere. And she's so associated with these early popes and she's such a big name in the early church that I have read about her a lot recently. So I will get to tell you all about her. Anytime she came up, my parents would start singing just straight into the Simon and Garfunkel like well I'm gonna throw this out there now she's the patron saint of music so she <laughs> would probably enjoy that let's just briefly then cover Saint Cecilia because that will be relevant it is said that Cecilia was born into a wealthy family of idolaters aka pagans and that she was the only member of her family that revered Christ, even in her youth, because, quote, by the nature she was prudent, sensible, and wise. So she is the only Christian in her family. But she gets married, and she actually convinces her husband to respect her vow of spiritual virginity. So she's married, but, like, not married. But then as Cecilia gets a little older, her husband Valerianus and his brother Tiburtius were present for one of Pope Urban's sermons against idolatry. And in his sermon, it said that Urban discussed the soullessness of the idols, and to prove that it had no worth or holy power, 
Urban prayed to God and toppled the idol off its column through the strength of prayer alone. Mm, sounds fake, but okay. Are you getting, like, so many echoes of Linus? Yeah, but also, like, I've seen a lot of fake ghost shows, and they probably just put it on a string. Probably, but do you remember what happened to Linus when he prayed and broke an altar? Uh-huh, he got kicked out of town. In this moment, this toppling of the idol and breaking of the idol leads to the conversion and baptism of Cecilia's husband and his brother, Tiberius and Valerianus. Much to the joy of Cecilia, who had her own conversations with God and angels and such saintly things. And, but Urban did not learn from Linus that destroying idols this way made people angry. And so, emphatically, converting idolaters didn't go so well by the people. Especially when he was standing there doing this, being encouraged by a woman like St. Cecilia. So, Tiberius and Valerianus are jailed and eventually beheaded for their conversion. So, even though the emperor might be cool with it, like... You don't, don't break his sh Well, and the local prefects are not into this at all. So, for what happened to Urban, according to this myth, we're going to read directly from one copy of the Acts of St. Cecilia. A certain Amalcius, a provost of Rome, was the principal governor of the city. Although the emperor himself was tolerant of Christianity, Amalcius had persecuted them, especially Cecilia, whom he had beheaded. We'll get to that a little bit later. Amalcius's servant, Carpasius, discovered Urban hiding in a dark and secret place with three priests and three deacons. Urban was accused of conspiring with Cecilia to deceive 5,000 persons to join the Christian faith, including the noblemen, Tiberius and Valerianus. Amalcius demanded that Urban yield him to the treasure of St. Cecilia and of the church, and Urban replied, I see now that covetousness moves you more to persecute the Christians than does the sacrifice of your gods. The treasure of St. Cecilia is ascended into heaven by the hands of poor people. Amalcius severely tortured St. Urban and his followers, but when he saw that he could not overcome Urban's faith, he commanded them to be sent to prison. There, Urban converted and baptized three captains of the town and the keeper of the prison, Annalinus. We know how that goes. You should not do that while you're in prison. It is just going to make you very dead. They don't like that. Don't do that. No. When the tyrant heard that Annalinus had become a Christian, he attempted to force him to sacrifice to the Roman gods and beheaded him when he declined to do so. He then brought Urban and his comrades before the Roman idol, whereupon Urban began to pray to true God. To true God. <laughs> to the truest. The idol immediately fell down and slew 22 pagan priests. That was a big idol, or sharp. It was, e it was one of those. <laughs> it was either very, very sharp, or very, very large. Or both. The Christian confessors were then cruelly beaten and brought up again to engage in the pagan sacrifice. They spit at the idol, made the sign of the cross in their foreheads, and kissed each other. Urban and his friends finally received the ultimate penalty and were beheaded. I, I like that, that it was like, so the thing falls over and kills a bunch of people. I don't know how many people were in that room. I assume it was pretty sardine-packed for 22 people to die from a statue falling over. It must be. And then they're like, well, that's screwed up. And then they're like, can you... 
please just worship this idol. And they're like, no. And they spit on it. <laughs> and then they kissed each other and got their heads cut off. And then they're like, ugh, fine, just behead them already. We tried. Now, because this is so entwined with Cecilia, I think it's kind of important to go through how Cecilia died as well, because um, it's a bit polycarpy. Okay. In, in that it's a really strange story. It's a little bit intense. And it has, this is the thing about these sources that are so apocryphal, is they have, like, full conversations like word for word about what these saints said. So that's always a really good indication that something is not accurate. But I'm going to read it to you anyways. This one's a little bit longer, so we'll go over it as quickly as possible. But I think it it kind of is is worth a look. So here we go. Acts of St. Cecilia, her death. Not much time passed when Dalmatius sought to find and take charge of the possessions and property of Valerian and Tiberius. It was then that he learned Cecilia was a Christian. He advised her to renounce Christ and to worship the idols. Fearlessly and openly, she declared, I have never worshipped demons. Dalmatius then bid his ministers to inflict upon her diverse punishments. She was then to be shut up in a house until the second examination. Whereupon, as the executioners were torturing her, she said, I, my brothers, rejoice for the love of my Christ amid these dread chastisements. I am only sorry for you because you submit yourselves to evil and heartless rulers and provoke your creator and savior, the all-good and most compassionate one who can bestow on you life eternal. The executioners, pitying her during the cudgeling. The cudgeling? Wow. Not even beating, just, yeah, let's go with the exact instrument used. Cudgeling. Said, May it not be, most noble maiden, that you should die thus, ignobly in shame as some criminal and chief robber, losing life which is most desirable. The saint replied, O oh, thoughtless ones, this is not to be reckoned as a loss of life, but rather a wise exchange, because I am giving dishonorable clay and will receive precious gold. In return for this temporal and short death, I shall receive life unending, and for small torments, instead I shall receive eternal glory. These and many other soul-saving utterances were made by the saint bringing the guards and other bystanders to believe in Christ. And they said, We too are Christians through thy veritable and holy words. At night, the holy bishop went to the house where the maiden was kept in custody. After baptizing four hundred souls, they kept vigil all night, offering thanks to the Lord. The following day, when Dalmatius learned of the proceedings of the night before, he was wroth and said to the martyr, do you not yet that know that, by my great power, I can slay as many Christians as I find in my district? Yet you do dare to turn my ministers to a different way and spurn the imperial decrees which command the Christians to renounce Christ and venerate the idols? Christ's athlete, having no fear, answered, Your power and your gods are as leather balls filled with air. When one pricks it with a pin, it is rendered useless. A balloon? Their powers are balloons. In reply, the Epark said, Leave off uttering nonsense, O impudent woman. Either venerate the gods, or I shall quickly administer a harsh and painful death, because you, a most daring one, have made fools of your husband and Tiberius and ushered in their untimely death. The martyr responded, Administer as many punishments as you desire. The more you torment me, the more delight and joy you give me. He countered, saying, Why do you speak with such arrogance, O proud one? 
she said, pride, which is a sin, is one thing, but valiant conduct is another, which, much rather, is a virtue and not a defect. This is because whoever does not fear death and, moreover, has love towards Christ, the only God, is the one not called proud but courageous and brave. Hearing this, the tyrant bid that she be placed inside a cauldron of boiling water. Ugh. Below the cauldron, his attendants piled as much wood as they could, causing the flames to rise. However, in vain they labored, because the holy maiden remained unscathed while the water bubbled violently. Indeed, the scalding water was as due to her. When the foolish and insensitive Epark beheld that his ministers kept the fire going for one day and one night, that Cecilia stood rejoicing and chanting, he supposed that magic was at work. Thus, he ordered that she be slain in the cauldron, whereupon the executioner hastened and struck her three times with the dagger. Side note, other sources say that this was an attempt to behead her three times. That will be important later. That's a very small device to try to behead someone with. Well, the other attempts say it was a sword, so, and I mean, we're going to come back to that, so. Sword? What? Leaving her for dead, the spectators at the amphitheater departed. At night, the Christians went to take up her relics covertly. However, when they found her alive and praying, she said to them, I asked a favor of the Lord, and I not that I not yet die until I make my house a church dedicated to the Master Christ that I preach to the truth. The faithful, beholding this extraordinary wonder, soaked up her holy blood which ran from her wounds. They desired to have this as a remedy for sicknesses of body and soul. The venerable martyr lived for another three days, preaching the faith to whomever she beheld, thus converting many Greek pagans. Hate that. Meanwhile, the holy Archbishop Urban went by night and before the saint dedicated her home. This structure, located in Rome, became revered by all. St. Cecilia then taught the faithful not to betray the world as vain and fleeting, so that they might enjoy life unending in the heavens. Having instructed them sufficiently, and accomplishing all she desired according to God, the far-famed Cecilia surrendered her blessed soul on the 22nd of November. This is what they say happened to the two, but none of it probably did. At least as far as Urban goes, because based on some new findings, scholars have pretty much determined that it was likely he died of natural causes in his sleep. You know, we have a tolerant emperor, after all. This this is a very weird legend to have at this time. They just wanted some sizzle. Holy ween idea. <laughs> Sexy Saint Cecilia. Yes! Oh, I have a perfect reference for that. It's not just how he died that's going to be confusing, because there's also a lot of confusion about where he's actually buried. If we look at the Liber Pontificalis and the Roman Martyrologies and the Acts of St. Cecilia, they say that Pope Urban's body was buried in the catacombs of Praetextatus on the Via Appia, along with six other martyrs. However, when the Cemetery of Calixtus was excavated in the 1800s, a sarcophagus was uncovered, and it had a fragment on the lid that had an inscription that read Episcopos, which correlated with a list of martyrs buried in the cemetery drawn from Pope Sixtus III in the mid-5th century. Urban's name is on this list, and so this seems likely that this is his grave, which is what was determined by the archaeologist responsible for this excavation, Giovanni de Rossi, who we're going to come back to lots and lots. 
So he thinks that the other urban in Praetextatus is a, a bishop from somewhere else who was brought to Rome to be buried. Most historians get behind Giovanni de Rossi as having listed the correct urban. But since urban appears on Sixtus's list of martyrs and not necessarily on the list of the popes that accompanied it, it's still possible that the one in Praetextatus urban is the pope urban his bodies are all humble jumbled and it's only further complicated by the fact that the praetextatus catacomb was eventually converted into a church which was known for a really long time as saint urbana alla caffarella and wouldn't it make more sense to name a church after a pope than some random bishop yeah we don't really know he's in one of the two we can say with relative certainty but we don't know and since we've been following the story of St. Cecilia in conjunction with Urban this whole time, we have to talk about what happened to her body, because I was able to sort of see some of this for myself. Oh, you saw some of her body parts? Kind of, sort of. Uh, <laughs> Cecilia was definitely, definitely buried in the tomb of Calixtus, and her tomb has, like, prime spot of honor. It's right outside the papal burial chamber. It's like the next room over. And if you go to visit the catacombs today, when you walk down, the first room you go into is the papal burial chamber, and the next thing is is where she is. So, in 1599, the catacombs of St. Calixtus were excavated for the first time. This is before the excavation where they might have found urban, but this was the time where, when they went down, they found St. Cecilia. They found her body, and they exhumed her. And found it to be incorrupted. Mm. Incorrupt saints is one of my favorite little morbid curiosities. And I'm so fascinated by it. But basically what they say is it was if she were sleeping. She was completely undecayed. And I hate it. Oh, I love it. It's so crazy. It's just bizarre. Now, as the story goes... You know, completely undecayed, but she has three axe wounds on her neck from the attempted beheading. Ah, uh, axe wounds now. Not a dagger. No cudgel. Or a sword. <laughs> yeah, she she looks as if she was sleeping. Now, these remains were removed and brought to the church of Santa Cecilia in Trastevere. And that church is still there, and her remains are still there, and some popes will end up there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we really tried. We went there. And we checked out the church, but right as we were there, there was a wedding happening, so we couldn't go in and see everything. No. But if you go to the catacombs, there is a marble replica of how St. Cecilia was allegedly found. They actually, like, have a sculpture of exactly the position she was allegedly laying in and what she would have looked like. There is the addition that on her hand that's resting on the ground, she has the two fingers out to represent her role as a martyr. I did not get a photo of this when I was down there because you're not allowed to take photos, but there are photos online. Of course there are pictures on the internet. Thank you, internet. Right? I will, I will show you one of them so that you can see what she would have looked like. Because you're not supposed to bring your cameras down there, and they were, like, pretty kind of adamant about that, but some people are snicky-snicky, so... I mean, they might have done some official ones, too. That's possible. 
So this is what the replica looks like lying in her tomb. So that's what they found. That's a nightmares. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and I will also promise you that we are so, so, so going to return to the topic of incorruptible saints in the future. Oh, I hate it. Just rot already. God. It's so crazy. Some of them are like a thousand years old. And what is this thing? So I find it really fascinating. So is that her hair? Yeah, that's her ear. I see it. She's like face down. Oh, no. It, her head is is covered by. Um, oh, is it covered? I, she's face down. And you can see the line across her neck would be one yes. of the axe wounds. But this is allegedly how they found her 1,500 years, 1,200 years after her death. Gross. And, you know, you'd think she would be dusty, like something, anything. Well, she would have She would have been in, like, but in her tomb, and it would have been covered with the marble slab, so it had not been opened in 1,200 years. She's still made of skin. She can make her own dust. But she didn't rot. Nothing happened. She is sleeping for 1,200 years. Fucking hate it. Oh, it's so cool, though. Nightmare fuel. Things should rot, please. Well, on that on that lovely note of things should rot, it's time for us to rate him. So let's rate Urban. <laughs> Are we going to rate him rotten? Well, let's see. Papatum infallium. So, things in his favor massive amount of conversions we have numerous converts including valerian and tiberius you know the husband and brother of saint cecilia if they're even real <laughs> if they're even real yes although the church would argue yes so much realness okay he's making sure church donations go to the church purposes which is good he may be responsible for the foundation of the Church of Santa Cecilia and Trastevere if he was somehow able to do this before he was martyred himself, if this story is true. Either way, it is credited to him, and it is said to be on the location where her house originally was. It is where her incorrupt relics are. Sad I didn't get to see it, but these are, these are pretty big things. What do you want to give him? A three or a four. Three. Three. A three from you. Um, I am going to give him two points for the church donations. I'm going to give him one point for the conversions and one point for the church. So he gets four from me for a seven. Fructus prohibitum. I almost want to give him scandal points just because he didn't learn from Linus, but I can't. So there's nothing. This is another scandal-free pope. Zero. Seculari impactum. Now, this is one we actually have kind of a unique thing to discuss here. He is a character in Chaucer's second nun's tale in the Canterbury Tales, which is about St. Cecilia. He is depicted in one of the most famous pieces of literature, the vernacular English language in the world. Book I haven't read. Oh, well, guess what? I have it so that we can totally read The Second Nun's Tale as a bonus episode. You are going to read it. In English class, suddenly appears. It's not that bad. It's really, it's not, the version I'm going to give you is not in, like, vernacular old English. It is very well translated. All right, I'm not going to be like, God, please kill me, like that time I had to read The Great Gatsby. Oh, that book is so much worse. Chaucer is at least a little bit funny in some of his stories, so 
but this is this is a pretty secular impact this is like i am giving him three points based on this alone that's fine i'm not sure why he's in there i guess because of saint cecilia Mm. pretty much Mm. can we give him so many points for riding her coattails oh yeah because he's still there and he's still in freaking chaucer so we we went we literally went from nothing of note happened in his papacy to Chaucer. That's fair. Uh so I don't know, I'll match you with like a three. Okay. I think that's fair. That gives him a six for secularis impactum. Fossium sanctus. Alright. So now we are going to look at this man's face. <laughs> oh, and you're laughing. That's that boats poorly. And now you just keep uh, yeah. giggling. I have two pictures that are very similar here. Here you go. Huh. These are the same picture, just with um, different shading. So if you want to look a little bit more at his features, aside from the massive forked beard. He's got a big forky beard. It is so forky. What? How do, as someone who cannot grow a beard, how does one get forked shaped beards when one is not in a metal band and doing it on purpose? Um, maybe John from Saga Thing can answer that for us. John, if you are listening, how do you fork your beard, man? <laughs> Is it just like a natural fork progression or do they have to like comb it that way? I need answers. I- I'm going to find you a picture of John's forky beard. <laughs> John, you're being included in Facium Sanctus. <laughs> are you ready for forky beard? Yeah, sure. Show me the forky beard. Oh, that's a fork. Yeah. Majestic forky beard. Okay, so now that we have an expert we can consult for forky beards, what do you want to give Urban for his forky beard? I don't really want to give him points for his forky beard. He's got a he's got a face, though. He's real intense looking. He's coming for you. He He does look like he's coming for you. And that nose, man, that is like, I don't know, it is big, it is... You know, it looks a little bumpy, like maybe he got into some fights. He's coming to convert you. Watch out. Uh, I'll give him like a four. Okay. I think a four is a good score. Um, I'm going to go just a little bit lower and give him a three. And then we will see what he gets, which is a 1.75 for Facial Sanctus. Now, um, as we move on, I actually have one more photo to show you of him, not of john from saga thing he he looks like james cromwell i had to find the name john no this this man urban oh okay he looks like james cromwell i don't know who james cromwell is the farmer from babe oh this dude yes he looks exactly like him oh we just found our casting 100 percent. can we tweet him is he on twitter i don't know if he's he's an old man <laughs> Well, that's that's why I asked. Before we move on from this round, Urban has a very famous statue for us to look at. Here we go. This is in, I am going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but I think it's Chisawa in Poland. They have an Urban statue. All right. It is such a popey statue, so. It's a very popey statue. He's just pointing. He's like, go over there. Yes. So he has some depictions in art as well. He's usually shown wearing the papal tiara and stuff, which is not a thing yet. He's usually holding a sword pointed at the ground because he may have been beheaded. He is sometimes holding grapes. 
and is often represented by like vines and grapes or usually with like a fallen idol behind a broken column but there is no explanation given for that so that is a thing well because he he collapsed that idol well that yes but for the vines and the grapes yeah okay we don't really know tempus pontificus so for tempus pontificus he gets a 222 to 230 he died on the 23rd of may in 230 he is the first pope whose reign can be definitely dated through eusebius's history of the church and we have that inscription in the cemetery of calixtus because he is named and dated there's also a little bit in the liber pontificalis about him being a confessor in the reign of diocletian but this doesn't make any sense because Diocletian didn't become an emperor until 244, 14 years later, so... It was just some other person named Urban. He gets eight years for a score of two. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. You already told me he's a saint. You just spoiled it. Yep, he's a saint. Everything is a saint at this point. Even that dog over there is a saint. We talked about the dog saint already. <laughs> If you want to know about the dog saint man, then you're going to have to go to Patreon. Yep, he is a saint. There's some confusion about his feast day, just like with the tomb situation. One says October 19th, one says May 19th, one says May 25th. It is most likely May 25th is the one in the catacombs of Praetextatus. But if you look for a feast day associated with the Pope, this is also the one that comes up the most. Now, he is the patron saint of Shizawa, this city where his statue is, because that's where they put his statue. He He's a token patron saint, really. That's fine. He can have his Polish Hamlet. But, according to one source, just one source that is not corroborated anywhere else, he is to be invoked against storm and lightning. But there is also a literal patron saint of storms and lightning called St. Barbara, but she's also the patron saint of, like, artillerymen, and she is invoked against gunpowder explosions and sudden violent work deaths, so maybe she can let Urban have this one. He can yell at clouds for us. Yeah, that's what he's doing in the statue. So, let's look at what his total score is. It is a decent 17.75. Oh, nice. That's pretty good. Yeah, we've been getting over 15 here for a couple popes. I'm going to say that most of that came because of Chaucer, but hey, that's all right. So now we have to ask our final question. Is he popey enough? Is he pizzazzy enough? Does he make you want to give him a papal bull? Can I give him a t-shirt instead that says I did all this pope work and all I got was a trip to purgatory? Yep. I think that's all he gets is the t-shirt. Because, yeah, uh, I, I, we, we come full circle here. I do not agree with the account that nothing happened in his papacy. Because some things happened in his papacy. But did he live this massively significant life? Not particularly. So, hopefully this one was fun. I had fun with it. I had fun researching him. And now that I haven't forgotten him again... I'm very happy about it. That concussion needs to go. Yes, yes, I uh, yeah. have. We have we mentioned that I have a concussion and have for the last couple weeks on this podcast. Well, there we go. So yeah, he just doesn't cut the mustard. That brings us to our thank yous for this episode. 
We need to thank Totalis Rankium for being our biggest support and Rex Factor for being our inspiration. Hopefully we can thank John and Andy from Saga Thing for <laughs> tuning in about Forky Beards. We're going to talk about your fork beards. It's going to be weird. No, it's going to be great. They're going to love it. I'm sure of it. Right? Right? I already told Andy I would buy him a beer if he ever came to Vancouver, so... That's fair. Thank Yeah. Thank you to everybody who is listening. Thank you to everyone who is leaving us reviews on iTunes. Thank you to all of the people who are currently enjoying our Patreon episodes. By the time this episode comes out... We should definitely, definitely have the September one up, and we'll be working on our first anti-pope, so join us there. It's really cool. We can be found on most major podcatching platforms, including Spotify. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as PontifexPod. Feel free to message us. We usually always respond. If you want to send us a more long-form message, request, or otherwise get a hold of us, our email is PontifexPod at gmail.com. For our bonus episodes and exclusive content, head over to our Patreon page and donate. That's patreon.com forward slash pontifaxpod. If you feel the need to buy us a tea, because we're not really coffee drinkers, but we do love tea, you can throw us a few bucks in our PayPal account at paypal.me forward slash pontifaxpod. As always, please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use. It really helps us get recommended to other people and allows more people to find us. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.